Hello and welcome to Behind the Sounds. I'm here today with songwriter, producer, Topher Brown. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, very well. Thank you. Um, we were just talking a little bit about kind of down the line, still in quarantine. Um, how is it there for you at the moment? You know, it's it's good. You know, when I consider everything that is happening in the world and all the unfortunate situations, people getting sick, losing jobs, um, it's been a it's been a year of pivoting and figuring it out and shifting and learning how to roll with whatever this new normal is. Um, it's not been easy. I, I think it hasn't been easy for anyone, but you know, compared to a lot of situations, I feel still very grateful for where yeah. I am and what I get to do. So, yeah, definitely. And I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit, but you've been quite busy, like you've had songs released and things. Um, right. So it's been a really completely new environment when that happens, like new processes and all that. Mm -hmm. So we'll say that again. Sorry, it cut out. So when you've had kind of songs released over quarantine, has it been a completely new process for you? Has there been different well, Yes, I just think that you know, I was just talking to a friend yesterday, another songwriter producer, and music is important. It keeps our lives going. It's what pays for our livelihood. Um, but because of the heaviness of this year, I feel like, and I don't know, you're a big listener too, I feel like songs kind of come and the longevity of however people are excited is a lot shorter right now because there's just such a heaviness. So the process of releasing music, it's a hard time to release music. I mean, I think... I think as we get further into this and we're all adapting and getting used to whatever this is, um, we're learning how to appreciate it more and more. But I, I, right when this was starting, you look at artists like Kelsey Ballerini who had a record come out, Rise This was happening, and she had such a huge promo tour, everything planned, and it's just, it's, it's a bummer. I mean, I, I, I feel especially uh, terrible for artists right now because 80% of their income and what they do is based off of being on the road and you just you can't be on the road. So me being a person working in the studio, I still, for the most part, obviously I haven't been as productive because we haven't been able to write in person as much, but essentially my job has still kind of stayed the same. But I look at all these artists, you know, Little Big Town, who I've worked with quite a bit, they were just getting started with their Nightfall tour. And, you know, they hadn't even announced, but they were going to do a second leg. And then all that just goes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's a real bummer. And, I mean, we could probably do a whole interview on the effects of what this has been on the music industry. But um, releasing music is exciting in one way because I do think music as a whole it brings people together and it's a healing process. So I think um, music, if anything, is kind of a band-aid right now to, yeah. to all the hurt and all the pain. And I'm really excited to see a year from now because, as you know, music, you write it, it doesn't come out the next day. Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be so many amazing songs that come from this experience because as creative people, we feed off of our environments and our emotions and there's a lot of <laughs> emotions running right now <laughs> yeah definitely i i'm gonna kind of jump forward a bit actually but just yeah. you've just said so you obviously talking about kind of writing songs that are quite relevant a song that's come out um kind of a couple of months ago was jillian jacklin who is your sister-in-law am i correct yeah. yes so um wait for the light which is kind of what you were saying it was so um pivotal to like where we are in this world at the moment um, and you wrote that with your brother and her yes How, what was that was that written during this period or was it just released it, it was so um yes jillian is i mean my best friend my sister-in-law my song wife she has every hat in the world she wears it and um obviously we're a close-knit thing because my brother married her and we're actually working on her new record he and i are producing it together and we had big plans for this year to kind of push new material out and because of everything happening it just felt like this is maybe not the time so we kind of went back to the drawing board and started you know reworking some songs and figuring out what the theme and the vibe of the record is and 
you know, we just, we were feeling, we're emotional people. We were feeling the weight of this year and, and we just kind of sat down the three of us one day and the song just kind of came out and, you know, cause we're working on her record a lot. So we're always around a piano or guitar and it just kind of fell out and it felt almost like a hymn or a prayer really for this year. And then that was even before all the BLM and George Floyd. And so it was like this song was writing itself into history in a way. I'm not going to say it's bigger, like, Oh, but it did feel a little bit bigger than us, what was happening. And that song is just special because it one is just us, the three of us as family making it. But also I do think, um, it's a therapeutic song and a healing song about, you know, everything that's going on and bringing us together. Yeah, it definitely is. And was it decided kind of as soon as you wrote it, you were like, we need to get this out in the world? Yeah, because, you know, as you know, album cycle, process single, there's so much that goes into it. I wish, I do think that the music industry is shifting where because of the ability of streaming, and just an online presence, you can kind of just put it out. Like you, unless you've got the powers that be, labels, publishers, managers, so there are a lot of hoops, but you know, Jillian is an independent artist and so we have the power in our hands. So we just felt that, you know, it wasn't necessarily for the record and it's not on the record. It was just like, here's, here's a piece of music. One, because she hadn't put out anything for a little bit and we knew that we were pushing the record back. Mm -hmm. And it just felt pertinent to right now. It felt like we could put it out. There's always going to be pain in the world. There's always going to be hurt. And there's that message I think will live on past this time, but it felt very important and necessary to not be precious with it and just put it, it put it out. You know? Yeah. Nice. And so obviously with your brother, you were saying it was a family affair and it was really nice. You did the three of you. Did you yeah. grow up writing songs with your brother? Like, were you really musical as kids? Um, yes, we, you know, we, we played sports just like the rest of kids playing baseball and basketball. But um, my brother was definitely the front runner of music in the family. My mother studied voice for 14 years. So she was a very great singer and my dad can't sing the phone. I mean, he is terrible <laughs> at singing. Great man, bad singer. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> My brother, you know, classic story, he started taking piano lessons and I was an extremely shy child. And, um, but I looked up to him and one day I was just like, I want to take piano lessons to my mom. And the next week I was in piano lessons. And then, you know, I grew up in Iowa, in Missouri, the Midwest, which is very small town vibes, Midwest, slow, quiet, um, and music just it just, I got hooked the second I started learning piano. So that turned into me buying a drum set when I getting one when I was 10 and then recording equipment. I, my brother and I got recording equipment when we were, when I was 12 and he was 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. And so we just kind of were in our parents' basement. Yeah. Writing songs. We actually didn't write a lot of songs surprisingly together. He would write kind of his own things and I would do my own things. And I put out a couple independent records as, as an artist. And, but we've always collaborated. Like we've sent each other, oh, I'm working on this or that, or growing up, it was more so just jamming. He'd play guitar and I'd play drums or we'd just switch off instruments. So we kind of sharpened each other musically growing up. And, and now here we are a lot older and still kind of doing the same thing, but maybe a little bit more professionally. <laughs> yeah. And then you bring Jillian into the mix. Who? Yeah. Just, I think one of the most underrated artists of the past couple of years. I fully totally agree. <laughs> um, such great records. You've written probably over half her stuff, am I right in saying? Um, so how did she come into the mix? Was it through your brother or through you? So she met my brother through me. So welcome, Brian and Jillian. Uh, so I met Jillian, my math is correct, probably about eight or nine years ago. Um, her sisters, I don't know if you know the history of her sisters and the band they were in, the Luna Bells, which uh, yeah. were signed to Sony back in the day. And I actually got, I got set up to write with her sister, Dominique. And, you know, we just clicked, just, it was just instant friendship. And then my publisher at the time, 
I went to go to a show and he just, we were at the basement here in Nashville and it was just a typical Nashville story. Jillian walked by, he's like, oh, you need to meet her. This is Dominique's sister. And I don't know if you've ever met Jillian or you know, but she is a force and amazingly motivated and determined. And he was like, you guys should, you should write sometime. And the next day or that night, I had a Facebook message from her saying, hey, I would love to follow up on the writing. We should do this sometime. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we, I think the following week we got together. The, the crazy thing that I'm sure she's talked about it in some interview, but the very first song we ever wrote was a song called Wedding Day. And then now here we are years later and she married my brother, which I always think is so weird. Everyone's like, you're stupid, but it's a pretty weird coincidence. But so I met her through my publisher at the time, Ross Asher. And it was just the second I heard her sing, I, I knew I was like, I have, I have to be a part of this person's life and career. And, you know, even more than music, we are like, partners in life like it's it's so cool how the story has unfolded now she's married to my brother and we all are collaborative together but even if my brother was never in it she would be someone that I would want to walk my walk through life with you know so basically we just started writing all the time and it was she didn't have a publishing deal and I was just in one and we were just figuring it out like we just kept writing and I was recording ideas and they kept kind of getting around because Nashville, even though it seems somewhat big, it is pretty small in a way, the community. And they just started kind of floating around and that led to her publishing deal and then labels and management and this and just and now here we are. I mean, it's not a decade later, but it's about maybe seven or eight years later. Yeah. yeah. And then um, throughout that time, obviously, you were, you've been working with, with her a lot. Have you got just kind of for the fans out there, if you've got any favorite songs that you've you've released or you've written with her that kind of stand out in particular? Uh, I love it's like children, so you like you like all of them. Um, but there's definitely cream that rises to the top. I personally, God bless this mess has always been um, that will always be one of my favorite songs I've written, period. And just the way that was written, you know, it was um, we were actually at her, her dad and stepmom's house in Long Island. And we, I, I kind of had that title just written down, you know, like, I'm sure you've had these conversations with writers. We write down titles, little phrases, and we sat down at her, you know, her piano there at her parents' home. And the chorus just kind of came out of me, like Jillian is I've been fortunate and blessed to write with a lot of amazing writers and artists. Jillian is still forever at the top of the list. Like she just is a songbird. She gets it melodically, lyrically, emotionally, everything. Her voice, as you know, is just ridiculous. And that just kind of came out in that course. And we actually had different verses written and we got back to Nashville and we, we, demoed it we went to my studio and just kind of did like a piano guitar vocal and the verses just didn't sit like we were like this chorus feels bigger than these verses and let's face it people hear the verses first we don't want to lose them yeah. and so we sat on it forever we actually recorded we started working on other music we always had a mill i mean we've probably written over 100 150 songs together and um that course just kept haunting me. And, and we ended up flying out to Boston to write with Lori McKenna, who's the greatest of all time. Uh, and we wrote a couple, we wrote Sad Girls up there, which is also a Julian song. And we wrote another song, I don't remember. I think it was called Nirvana, actually. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> and I remember at the end of the trip, I, I just was kind of like, I told Julian, I said, I really think that we should play her this chorus. And we said, Lori, I just don't think we've nailed the verses. And I think that you might be the person that cracks the code and helps us get a different angle. We play her that chorus and she immediately was like, yes, I, if you want to bring me in on this, I know songs are precious. We were like, yeah, you're the best. And she said that first line of the song and the verses just came out in like 20 minutes. And yeah. 
And the, the funny thing is that probably not, I, I don't know, many people know, it, but that song for the longest time was not going to be a Jillian song at all. Like it, we wrote it and as publishers do, Lori actually was, came to my studio like the following week or two, she was in Nashville and she did a vocal and you know, you hear Lori sing it. So there's a demo of her singing it and it just breaks your heart so much. Lori's voice is so great. Um, and it got pitched around just like it does. And several artists immediately were interested and it started going on hold and it was actually on hold for a year for the Tim McGraw Faith Hill record that they made. And that was like wow. the song that the record's gonna be built on and it was happening. And then obviously in a <laughs> classic national yeah. story, we make the record. And, and when that didn't happen, you know, it started going around to some other artists and you know, other, it got on hold here, there. And I just kept, I kept talking to Joe and I'm like, I really think no one's gonna sing this like you. And I think it was so far removed from her brain because she had kind of let it go because Jillian's just so prolific and could write a record every week if she wanted to. But we just got in the studio and recorded it. And I'm sorry, this is the longest tangent about this song, <laughs> but it really is yeah. like, it still is one of my favorites. And I, I hope that it still has a bigger moment than it ever got, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She's so underrated. She like these big moments that happen for artists. It's almost like kind of still waiting for her to have hers, but it's so needed because there's so many songs. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot, and I mean, not to be the lame person that's always like, oh, the the best is yet to come. But I will say this record we're working on now, as far as songs I'm proud of, there's several on here that. Jillian is very much an artist and we've had projects, but I feel like she is like even more so stepping into who she is as not only an artist, but as a human and even more into her voice and sound. And um, this record's really special. I can't wait for people to hear it. Yeah, I'm excited. And just going back a bit, so it was on hold for a year with the Tim and Faith record. So as a songwriter, obviously having a Tim and Faith cut would have been a big deal, but were you kind of secretly happy that it, it didn't happen? You know, I was bummed at first because as, as a songwriter, like, I mean, Tim and Faith, it's like there aren't many bigger names in any genre of music. But I really, as I have as the heartbreaks have added up over the years, you have to learn that the heartbreaks lead to something else often. And so I, I never doubted that that song would have its place somewhere with someone, whether it was with Jillian, I know there were other people interested in it, but um, I think I there was relief because I think I was excited about hearing Jillian really own that song and not just a quick demo vocal here or there, but actually getting in the studio with our friends and making it right and and it happened for a reason. <laughs> I mean, it really can be that simple, you know? Yeah. So going back a bit, obviously you were saying when you first met Jillian, you were already signed to a publisher. Mm -hmm. When did you first get to Nashville? How long have you been there for now? So I, this past August, I just hit my 15 year anniversary, which it's crazy because in a lot of ways I feel like I just moved here, but I, I moved here from Missouri and um, cliche story, I transferred to Belmont like so many people do. And it was, I had every intention of graduating, but I did not graduate and I dropped out after a semester and just kind of submerged myself into, I was more of an artist then and I was putting out my own stuff and I mean, that feels like another life, another lifetime ago, but yeah, 15 years. Yeah. And when, obviously, as you were just saying, like you, you started as an artist, was that the goal or did you always kind of think, oh, maybe I'll just try writing as well? Well, it's funny. I mean, growing up in Missouri and Iowa, you, you're not surrounded by the community like you are here or LA or New York or London or any of these. So I... I just, music was for me. Like I put out records and I played shows in Iowa or Missouri. And I always was like, I know I'm gonna be in music. I thought for the longest time I would be an artist. And obviously it didn't happen to the level that I wanted it to happen. 
but it was grooming me for something bigger and better and how I see it now. And along the way, when I got here, you know, I, I got record labels were interested at one point capital out of New York for a pop deal for me as a solo artist. They flew me up. I did the things a couple of times. It got closer. And then it just felt like I, I would get to the door and it would start opening and it just could never fully open. And I started a duo with a girl I was dating and we actually, we worked with Jay Joyce, who's one of the greatest producers and we're getting kind of thrown into all these meetings and it just could never, the ball just never fully started rolling on its own. I just always felt like I was pushing it uphill and along the way, I, I always loved writing and I, I loved producing and I loved working with other artists because really the thing I love is being in a studio. I just, even, even as an artist, touring, yes, it's great. I love connecting and seeing what your music's doing with fans and having that in person. You can't beat that. But my favorite part of it was always the creative in the studio, writing, recording. And so I think you know, my artistry lives on through kind of, I'm living vicariously through Jillian and the other artists of the world that I've been so grateful to work with. So you just shift. And I think, I think what happened too is I got some cuts early, very early on, long before my publishing deal. And I started making some money, not substantial money, but it just kind of made me go, huh. I'm not touring. I'm not having to promote this as an artist on, at that time, it would have been MySpace, which dates how old I am. But I, I just, my brain started kind of shifting, you know, the, the DNA strands started shifting and I started being like, uh, I think I could do this. And then finally, after I was in that duo for a while and we just kind of we just made a decision that we didn't want to do it for the sake of our relationship. We obviously ended up breaking up in real life, but it just didn't want to do it. My brother was signed to a publisher in the town and he just kind of was a huge turning point for me. Cause he sat me down one day and he was like, man, you're a great writer and you are a producer. Like you make music and you play all these instruments. Why don't you just go, for, go for a publishing deal? Cause I had been offered publishing deals along the way for years and I just was kind of this you know you look at people like Shane McAnally who never signed a deal and he built his empire and his company I think your ego gets there and you're like I'm gonna do that and I just kind of had this ego and pride where I'm like I don't need partners and I was really reluctant as an artist to even sign with a manager or anything and that carried in a little bit as a writer and then finally my brother he's like you're such a great networker you're a great writer you can jump in different genres why don't you just commit to that don't try the artist thing for a little bit see what happens and within six months I think I had three publishing offers and so after years of hitting obstacles in these doors closing I just saw God kind of opening things that I could have never opened and I just kind of saw it as a sign that this is maybe what I should seek out now yeah and is the artist door closed forever now or is there still a hope of that happening in the you future? You know, it's really funny you asked that because I think, and I'm sure you've interviewed several people now who may have been an artist and they're, oh, but then now they just write. It never really closes. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that I have this grandiose scheme to put out a Topher Brown record. I don't think anybody's waiting for that anxiously, but... But I do have some music and some ideas for a project here, there. And, you know, there's so many songs that just go, some of the best songs in this town will never be heard by, by an audience. And, which is heartbreaking, but also because this day and age of the ability to get music to people is easier than ever. Part of me is like, why not? And I feel like my, because... I'm in the position now where I make a living doing this. I don't feel as much of a, oh my gosh, I have to make this happen. I don't have that artist anxiety that I did when I was 22 years old with $100 in my bank account thinking, how am I going to make a living (laughs) doing music? I think that there could be almost a purity in doing it again. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, definitely. So let's dive in then to a few more of the, you've written with in songs i'm gonna 
start with with one of my favourite songs of the past decade, probably, um, Mr. John Pardy. Um, yeah. Night Shift, such a jam. Uh, oh, fangirl, because it is it's such a great song and um, i've seen people talk about john party and they always kind of say oh you know songwriters go to him and think he writes his own songs and then these songs get to him and yeah. he you know i know he co-produces them and that but from writers did you ever intend on getting a song to him and how did that song get to him you know that that is just that was a timing thing more than anything. We wrote that song, Philip LaRue, Billy Montana and I wrote that, shoot, six or seven years ago, maybe. And um, just a typical Nashville session. And, you know, it was, they got in my studio. It was the first time the three of I'd written with Philip. I'd never written with, with um, Billy. And we wrote it. I, I, I had, it was so weird. It was one of those like, oh, maybe it's a sign moment. I, Billy was like, oh, I've got this title on my phone, Night, Night Shift. And I looked at my phone and I had the same title. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? We've never written together. Let's just roll with that. And the song came out really quickly. I demoed it out. We actually hired Randy Montana, Billy's son, who's having great success now as a writer and was an amazing artist as an artist. I hired him to come sing the demo because the three of us were like, I don't know if any of us are going to sell this like, <laughs> like, like it should be sold and finished the demo, gave it to our people and it got pitched. And I remember we, John had put out a record already and I think he had a top 10, maybe, maybe a top five or two and it hadn't really taken off, but everyone's like, Oh, he's true. Like Dwight Yoakam, California country. Like it's like, he really wears the belt buckles. He is the lifestyle. And, and we, you know, we all love that song. We wrote it and, um, you know, you're only as good as your last song written. And I think that songwriters get excited and they're like, it's a hit every time <laughs> in some way, not always, but, uh, we were excited about that song and it got pitched. And I remember it coming in and saying this newer artist, John party wants to cut it. And we were all like, should we should we do it like it was just because he was still building and I remember hearing some songs being like yeah they're like Capitol's really excited about him and you just don't know and so we were like should we hold out should we go for the loop Brian should we go you know because we ultimately as writers we do have a say in that but we just were like we don't want to miss this opportunity because when you have something in this industry take it because you most of the time will let go and then it won't happen and then you'll really be kicking yourself. So he recorded it and the album came out and he, I think, was it Head Over Boots? Was that the first single, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. I think, and it blew up. I mean, that song was everywhere. And next thing you know, we're like, this is pretty cool to be on this album because he's really having a moment. And ev after every single, they kept saying Night Shift's the next single. So we we went through basically heartbreak for two to three years because Head Over Boots was huge and they were like, Night Shift is performing the best out of, because it was always performing on streaming yeah. the best after whatever the single was currently. And we just kept thinking it happened. And then second single came out, no. And then they were like, the next, third, no. Fourth, no. And then very rarely, maybe a Luke Bryan does five singles off of an album, but a relatively newer artist doesn't mm -hmm. I mean I know he wasn't new he was a sophomore record but still he was a new artist in a lot of ways but like we just kind of let go and it wasn't going to happen and then they just said we're going for a fifth single <laughs> and then, and that was it and then and then you know it was obviously it didn't hit number one but it was a hit it was on the charts for over 40 weeks and mm -hmm. got to number four or three or something like that so yeah, and it's, he's such, I've spoken to a couple of writers about him, he's such a personality and oh, makes completely. songs sound so, like, I just smile thinking about that song. So what oh, was it like hearing him sing it for the first time? It was incredible. I mean, I'm, I'm such a fan of him just in general now, and this new record is incredible. I just feel like 
obviously I come from a world where I really love pop music and I've written a lot of pop too. Obviously being in Nashville now, it's, I've grown into country more and more and I grew up listening to some country. It's not like I'm foreign to it. I've always liked where country's going, but when you hear someone that is truly like a country artist, like it gives you that feeling of George Strait or Garth Brooks or Alan Jackson. It, to me, everyone's like, oh, it's so throwback. And I'm like, it's not, it's just like, that's what it is at the heart of country music. And to me, John Party is country music. Like he, like his, his, just his persona on stage, his hats and, what he's singing about i'm like i believe it it doesn't feel like some guy that came from you know some other country that's like i, I grew up liking country music because of keith urban and i'm not discrediting those kind of artists but i'm yeah. like he lives eats and breathes it like i would not be surprised to see him on a ranch lassoing up some animal <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah he's and it's really cool too fast forward now his manager is jillian's manager ah so it's just to see that too and see Melanie Weatherby's her name and seeing how they raised him up is like, it's a really pure, awesome machine behind him. And it's very, I think he's gonna, if it keeps doing what it's doing, I think he's on his way to be like one of the next main dudes in this yeah. genre. I'm with you on that one. Um, and then another band, uh, again, there are so many, um, so I've had to really kind of pick the ones we're wow. going to talk about. But one track um, I wanted to speak about um, was Lady Anne's Lady A, um, <laughs> their title track from, from their last record, which was Ocean. Um, oh, yeah. A little bit different for, for them, because it's kind of a, a ballad, a heartfelt ballad, which they don't tend to release as singles with one of them singing. You know, they're great at the duets, but... Yes. This is a, a Hillary moment um, and it's such a stunning song. How did that come about and get find its way to them? Um, well, thank you, first of all. I love that song and that has been just a crazy experience because that song came from, I wrote it with Sarah Buxton and Apes DeClassa, two of my favorite writers in town and great friends of mine. And we wrote that, my timeline's off, probably like two or three, three years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. And it came, you know, a lot of the best songs always come from a personal place. As songwriters, we can take a phrase and spin it and write it, make it catchy. And it might land and have a place. But I think um, when songs have the moment that I think that song has had and how it's connected to hearts all over is we were connected to it emotionally. And it came from a really personal place. And Sarah just like kind of came in and it was therapy that day, truly. And I'm sure you know Sarah Buxton. She is hands down one of the best singers I know, period. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, that song just kind of came out. It was emotional. There were tears in the session and we sat, I, we actually recorded that demo live. Like I just sat at my, my keyboard and she got on the mic and we just recorded it, which it's very cool because fast forward, there's no tempo. We weren't to a click track. So it does, it almost ebbs and flows like an ocean. Like we're not really gridded to a performance. And um, that's actually Lady A ended up doing that too. They didn't record to a click track because they liked the emotion of the, the demo. But that song, I remember we sent it around to our publishers, same thing. And everyone loved it, but it just felt, who's gonna do this song like it it's beautiful it's but it's also it is just a very pointed song it's not like a hey girl how you doing down and down like you're not it's a very specific song that's the word i'm looking for and and i remember abe abe has had cuts with with lady a and he's really close to charles and um i believe abe just sent it to charles he just he was like, I'm going to send it to my friend. And because I think, you know, at the time Sarah was at a publisher and someone was like, this is never going to get cut. Like, this is too artsy. Like, this is too, you know, it's not top 40 country, which it wasn't, you know, that wasn't the goal. We were like, we're writing this for us. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then he sent it to Charles and Charles immediately was like, is someone recording this? Like, and then he played it for Hillary and 
I remember getting texts from everyone saying they're like, Hillary's crying right now backstage and she has to redo her makeup. And, and then and now and then it went on to be the title track and definitely I will go on hopefully in my career and write hundreds, if not a thousand more songs, but that will always be top 10 favorite songs for me. And Hillary, I, I love Sarah Buxton's voice and I was like, no one can beat it. But I, I will say that is the best vocal of a turnaround cut that's been pitched to me. I mean, I love John Party singing that ship. I love other things that have happened, but getting her version, mm -hmm. I was, I was undone. Yeah. And I actually, I actually don't know them that well. Like we know each other because of that, but I just wrote with Lady A a couple weeks ago and I finally got to tell her face to face what a moment that has been for me and just how appreciative I am. And, um, I'm bummed that the year that has been because it was going to be the ocean tour and they're like, Oh, it was yeah. going to have this big moment on tour. And now that's canceled. <laughs> like, like, it, will happen. it will happen at some point. Yeah. And it is, yeah. And even like the, the video they put out with it, you can just see how much it means to them. And I'm yeah. sure hundreds of people resonate with it. Um, yeah. Such a good track. Okay. Well, so great. Um, and from one kind of massive band to another, we, we have to talk about Nightfall. Um, yes. Town's latest record, as we were talking about earlier, tours getting cancelled. It was it was set to be an iconic tour. Um, yeah. I know they did quite a few shows before, but obviously heartbreaking for them. But am I right in saying you haven't worked with Little Big Town before this record, right? I hadn't, no. So but how did that happen? Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> sorry. Uh, they were always at the top of my list. They, I... To me, coming here to Nashville, you know, I, I grew up, I was, I, I was a classical pianist. And so I have a lot of like just weird backgrounds. I grew up listening to the Beatles, Simon Garfunkel. And, but I did, I had like the Garth Brooks, the Shania's, those kind of records that got me here. And then I remember moving here and maybe a few years in the Tornado record came out. And I had obviously heard, you know, Boondocks, the White Church, like the bigger songs that they'd had. That tornado record, just I wore that thing out. Like I genuinely was a fangirl. I, as a songwriter, you know, I'm like, oh, I'd love to work with them, but it just seemed like David and Goliath. I'm like, I don't know how this is gonna happen, but it came about because I had I had worked a, a good friend of mine, songwriter, and in the High Women is Nellie Hemby, and she obviously has had a lot of hits with them and wrote kind of really pontoon and tornado those two songs really kind of propelled little big town and yeah. put them, got them their first number ones and really took them to a new place and natalie i always you know as songwriters we always kind of wanted like i'll scratch your back you scratch mine and i remember just being like are you writing with them and i would always kind of hint and it didn't happen and then they do another record and then i i would always be one step closer and then a song of mine might get on hold because they heard it. And then finally, I just, I talked to my publisher at Concord and I said, let's, I want to be more proactive because I just have a gut feeling and they're an act that I want to work with and be associated with. They're just, I cannot say enough good words about those human beings. Like if we didn't have music, I would still want to be friends with them because they just, uh, they are who they are and they've been so kind to me. But I went to my publisher and I said, hey, how, how do we do this? Like, I, I'm tired of just seeing another record go by where I feel like I need to be a part of whatever they're doing or at least give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And he set up a session eventually and I worked with Karen and Natalie Hemby and just a relationship started. We wrote and, and then maybe six months to a year went by and this was gosh, this was probably two or three, two years before nightfall. And, um, and then I just, I would follow up and I had Karen's email. And then I remember just kind of emailing her and being like, Hey, I have a date with Sarah Buxton soon. I know you're friends with her. Do you want to write? And we all got together and wrote, and then we were like, we should do it again. And then the next time we did, we wrote four or five songs in a day to three of us. Yeah. And it just was, I'm all like, my philosophy is like, 
obviously I want a great song. Who doesn't want a great song? But I want to walk away from sessions building relationships and friendships because that will live on way past any song, any hit, any non-hit, anything. And I just, Karen and I really clicked and we just kept staying in touch. And then, and then I just, I never even really met the rest of the band. It was always Karen. And then finally, I'd been working a lot with my buddy, Sean McConnell, who wrote the daughters on that record. And, and then we were like, Oh, we should all write. And then they invited me and Sean on the road. And that led to, you know, on that trip, we wrote wine, beer, whiskey, and we wrote problem child in the same day. Mm -hmm. And those made the record. And then there were several others and, you know, they've just become great friends. I mean, I text with Karen all the time. I just, I'm actually in the wine, the wine beer whiskey video was shot last week uh, and I'm, I'm going to be in it, which is so silly and fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're always talking. We, we wrote recently, Jimmy and Karen and I wrote, you know, JP Sachs. Yes. yes. We just wrote the four of us, which is kind of a random yeah, combo, yeah. but he was in town writing and we got a great song. And so they're, you know, they're, they're always looking forward and thinking about new music and, yeah I, I, does that answer your question <laughs> i'm always i'm always fearful that i'm like am i just rambling over here so, so obviously like bucket at this moment um yeah. right them and then getting a single as well was that kind of an added bonus yeah i mean when we wrote you know so we wrote problem child on the road and that was a very heavy song mm -hmm. it's very emotional and i when we wrote Wine Beer Whiskey, it was so silly and it happened so quickly. But I remember as soon as that song was written, I was like, there's something to this. And they, you know, they have, they have the girl crushes and Better Man and these kind of emotional and awesome songs, but they have attitude too. I mean, Pontoon, Boondocks, all these songs that just kind of move. And as much as, you know, we all as creatives, we always want the ballad moment. They, they really do shine with the character and the funny and the, that kind of bigger moments and fun moments. Yeah. So uh, getting a single with them is, is awesome. And then just to be brought into the world and getting to, you know, I produced Problem Child with them and I played on a lot of the track of Wine Beer Whiskey, didn't technically produce, but then, I, then they had me co-produce um, Sugarcoat, which I didn't write. Yeah, uh, that song is just a monster of a song and just to have them reach out and say do you want to help produce this and get to play a bunch of instruments and see it through was incredible yeah and it's again just like these added little bonuses that come from the record and I'm just gonna say it now I might get in trouble but completely robbed of album of the year at <laughs> I'm sorry to say it but I said it <laughs> I, was, I was a little Bummed. Yeah, I'm bummed for yeah. sure because I just, I, you know, obviously I think records too quickly are often judged by the amount of singles or the number ones or the top tens or this or that. And uh, which I understand, you know, you see some of these artists that have five number ones on an album. Of course, that's going to be nominated. Mm -hmm. But as far as just continuity and a record flowing together and being experienced that's pretty rare like and especially with the streaming world where it's like a song pops off and it doesn't it can be very Jekyll and Hyde on an album but Nightfall is such a record like it's like it really is it's like a record like Golden Hour you sit and you listen to it and you're like this is a body of work mm -hmm. and you know I I'm I am bummed for them but the show goes on. It's still a great record. That doesn't mean it's not great. And hearing people like you say that it means something to you means it's fulfilled its purpose, you know? Yeah, for sure. And it's funny you mentioned Golden Hour because I remember sitting and listening to it uh, head, uh, top to bottom when it first came out and thinking, I haven't listened to a record like that since I listened to Golden Hour. Mm. Uh, so it's one of them. But yeah, I, when the nominations came out, I was like flicking through and I was like, oh yeah, okay, album of the year. And then I was like, okay, where's the rest of them? Because <laughs> I was really, really shocked. But there it's are more a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, I don't want to be like, oh, it's a political thing with how it is. But it is. I mean, all this stuff just, 
I, I don't want to say that take away from anyone's moment because I think everyone that's nominated is always like deserves to be there. But there's just things that are just not going to go like you think they should. That's, mm -hmm. just, that's life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so amazingly, I have to wrap things up a little bit now. <laughs> um, wow. Have I, I just been flown just by? Yapping. <laughs> Um, did you want to play or you, can you know I don't really ever play but I I can play a song if you want me to okay we will. well I'll ask you my three questions first which I end every interview with and then I will I'll leave it with you um, so my first question um, is they're all around threes so firstly can you name three songs that you wish you'd have written oh gosh somewhere over the rainbow Mm -hmm. um, I Can't Make You Love Me. Um, mm, gosh, Yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going off of, I, I can think of a million, but yeah. gosh, those three, okay. I, I just, I actually just watched the Judy Garland biopic and, yeah. and that song that has a moment that's somewhere over the rainbow. I'm like, gosh, that's just like, it is such a good song. I know it's like whatever you want to say, oh, the Wizard of Oz, but just the melody and the lyric, it's so good. It's crazy. It is. I'm going to also start a tally for I Can't Make You Love Me because it's been said probably the most out of everything. But I, I always feel like, because people ask this, ask songwriters, and it feels so cliche, but I'm like, it is just that good. Yeah. Like, it's just, you hear it, you're like, how does this exist in the world? <laughs> It's so great. Um, and then I'm going to ask you three albums that you can't live without. Oh. Um, Tom Petty Wildflowers. Uh, it would be a Beatles album. It's so hard. My, the first Beatles record I bought was Revolver, which is usually it's always like Abbey Road or this. Mm -hmm. But Revolver has such a special place to me because it was the first thing that got me hooked on them. So probably that. And then, man, a third. I don't know what record, but I would just probably say Simon and Garfunkel Greatest Hits. <laughs> just, I'll, just, I'll just take the cream off the top because, I mean, that, I always say that that's my trinity is Tom Petty, Paul McCartney, and Paul Simon. Those are the songwriters that changed my life. So Yeah. Riley, so um, and then three artists or writers that you you haven't yet had a chance of working with, but you'd really like to work with in the future. Oh goodness! Um, for Nashville, I really i have I have been fortunate to work with a lot of artists, you know, that I love, but I still have never worked with Dirks Bentley. Mm -hmm. I and I I always look forward to what he's doing i just i i really like all his songs i think it's always well anard records it always has an attitude i would love in nashville i'd love to work with him um adele i mean come on who doesn't work work with adele and then as far as just a songwriter goes oof i don't there's someone I'm trying to think of that I, I'm, I'm giving you a lot of dead air right now. <laughs> I can't think. Uh, Miranda Lambert. <laughs> I'll just throw I don't. I can't think of anyone else. But I've, I have honestly gotten to work with a lot of my heroes over the last couple of years, and I feel so grateful. But there's always people that you just see, you're like, I want to. I just, even just to get to know them and know what that process is like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. Um, Absolutely. Blown by. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, um, but I will leave the stage with you. Oh, gosh. So I really don't. I, I, I'm honestly, I'm going to grab a guitar. Um, there is no pressure. <laughs> what? No pressure. Well, the funny thing is I get at, like, I shouldn't say I get asked, but I get asked time and time to do writer's rounds, and they honestly make me... I don't know what it is about it, but it always makes me feel awkward. <laughs> I'm sure they're awesome as a fan to go to, to see the, the behind the scenes. But I just, I think once I was like, oh, I'm not going to be like an artist front and center. I just gladly took a step back, but you're very sweet. And I will, I will attempt to 
fuddle through a song. I'll just play wine beer whiskey because why not? Why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not? My friend named Jack, he's got my back. He always seems to know right where I'm at. My friend Jose, he likes to play. He's always up for anything I say. Little bit of red, a lot of bit of crown. Don't matter what it is, I'm gonna drink it down, down, down. The wine, the beer, the whiskey are the only things that fix me. I'm not saying it's a problem, I can stop it if I wanna. But the wine, the beer, the whiskey, they always give me. My friend named Jim, she's got some friends. I'm talking Brandy, Sherry, and the brother Jim. My friend, the captain, we call him Morgan. He likes to anchor down and hang over till morning. Little bit of red, lot of bit of white. Don't matter what it is, it's gonna make it all, all right. The wine, the beer, the whiskey are the only things that fix me. I'm not saying it's a problem, I can stop it if I wanna. But the wine, the beer, the whiskey, they always give me. Yeah, man. 